You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm shaking my booty. And I'm Simon. And that's it. That's your lot. <laughs> it's just the two of us. It's one of those weeks when Mark's ill and Lee's busy and it's just the two of us. Yeah. So instead of a proper episode or a theme or whatever, instead of doing a season or a theme of any kind, we're just basically going to wing it, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. We'll do uh, like a, a flow of thought. Yeah, or yeah, but but the one idea I did have was that in order to get conversation flowing, since there's only two of us here and we don't have a theme, mm. we do a bunch of on the spots. Okay, and the on the spots will just give rise to conversation, maybe hopefully. Okay. Oh, before we do though, mm. you know, I was, you know, that theory I expounded upon about how I think Stephen Moffat might leave the eleventh Doctor. Mm. It struck me the other thing that I didn't say, that I perhaps should say, is now Stephen Moffat, when he does the regeneration story, he's going to introduce Doctor 12 before Doctor 11 goes, isn't he? Do you think? (laughs) I can't see Stephen Moffat just doing a regular regeneration. No, no, it's going to have to be... Timey-wimey. Yeah, yeah. I think Doctor 12 will turn up at the start of the episode... And he'll be the one who locks the 11th Doctor into a time time loop. Oh, okay. I think Doctor 12 will turn up, not do it in a sort of <laughs> punishing kind of a way. I think Doctor 12 will turn up and say to Doctor 11, look, you've made a mess of this. You have unleashed these silence all across the universe or whatever. You've got to put it right. You've got the time loop the whole last five years. So are you saying that officially the 11th Doctor will never have existed? Basically. But does that mean that in the future, if they ever do any multi-doctor stories... He won't be able to be in them. Ah. Potentially, he could be in them... Mind you, he'd never make it to the... Mind you, he's young enough that he would make it to the 100th anniversary. Oh, yeah, he should do. Yeah. He'll be... He won't look quite the same in <laughs> another 50 years' time, but... Yeah. Just <clears throat> a scrawny. Yeah. No, I... You can get round these things. It's only a line of dialogue, isn't it? Oh, they'll have CGI that just looks like real people by then. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll get around the fact that he's locked in a time loop. Yes. If yeah. he is locked in a time loop, because my Gallifrey theory could be t- way off. But Yeah, they can get Gallifrey out of a time loop. They can get... They said they didn't, did they? That was the disappointing thing about the end of time. Mm. They were just in a sort of white room at the end of the 
proper room. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. There was no interaction. They yeah. didn't come out. Nobody else went in. It was like watching the Time Lords on a television screen. Mm, mm. You know, I I really enjoyed that story. Mm. I know it's not a great story, but I enjoyed it. But I just thought it was a shame that there's just no proper interaction between the Time Lords and anybody else. No. Even the Doctor. Mm, mm. It's like they just that one scene where they're sort of shouting at each other across the room and that's it. The um the inclusion of Rassel on there, what's your take on that? Is that just them writing the story that they wanted to as opposed to thinking how could Rassilon be there? No, Rassilon never died, did he? Rassilon is the one... Timothy Dalton. Yeah, no, 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 I mean in the old series. Did we ever see Rassilon? Well, very briefly in The Five Doctors. Was that Rassilon? Yeah. uh, Yes, of course, when he spoke to uh, Barusa before Barusa went into the... (laughs) turned turned into a paving slab. Yes. Right, yes. Well, if he's there and if he's talking, mm. I mean, he can be... Look at what the Master's done over the years, mm. right? Mm. He keeps sort of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not reinventing. Re... Rejuvenating himself. No, not rejuvenating. Reincarnating himself. Mm. Um, what's the word when you bring somebody back to life? Uh, reanimate? <laughs> maybe. I think Re- you're right in reincarnation. Uh, maybe. I thought I was looking for another word. But... Re- rebirth or something. Uh, word for unearthing. Interring. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if if the master can come back yeah. from all these situations and not, you know, f- any kind of excuse. It's a fantasy series. Yeah, yeah. If Rassilon's been in it, and not only been in it, but we've seen him speak... Mm. No reason why he shouldn't be in it again. No, no. Simply I quite does. like the fact that they did that because if it had been, if they'd have had him on as Barusa or Kellner or any one of any other Time Lords that, you know, he could have been Madame Flavia actually, mm. but if he'd have been anybody else, mm. it would just have been, well, yeah, but so what? Yeah. yeah. But because they made him wrestle on. The very first. You think about it. If it's it's the big war, the big time war, then that's the they'd get the big guns out. They would. So yeah, I didn't have a problem with that. What no. about the doctor's mother? Didn't quite want. I, I don't know. I don't know why she was there, unless it was just to stir up interest. I don't know. Well, it was never said on screen who she was, was it? No. But Russell T Davis said it was the doctor's mother, right? Yeah, in the writer's tale. Right, but obviously, because it wasn't said on screen, then anybody else who comes to write for the series afterwards, if they want to dig that character back out again or make something more of that, they can always say, well, it's not the Doctor's mother, it's his sister or it's a Time Lord that he recognised or whatever. Mm. So it doesn't really matter. But I quite like the fact that it's the Doctor's mother. Mm. If you were in a place, a situation, like Gallifrey in a time loop, Mm. you know, in a time log, or say um, on Atlantis, after Atlantis falls into the ocean, right? Mm. And the only person who escapes Mm. and who carries on the good work, as it were, is the Doctor, right? And he's your son, Mm. right? You'd make sure that when they come out of that time lock, mm. whatever's happening, you'd be there to keep an eye on him, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that his mother would somehow find a way into that story. It makes sense to me. Mm. And this is the way Russell T. Davis writes 
Yeah. Know. I mean, it's like that. And it's the appearance of the Ood as well. It doesn't yeah. actually make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But that's Russell T. Davis would rather something make emotional sense than yeah, scientific it sense. It certainly yeah. pressed the right buttons, didn't it? The, the emotional buttons. Right, you have to talk when I'm swigging tea. Yeah, no, I was, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> not so easy when there's only two, is it? It isn't, no, it's, it's like <clears throat> tennis. You Podcast know, tennis. Podcast tennis, yes. Yeah. What else would you like to talk about? Um... Revelation of the Daleks. Right. We were talking about it the other day, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this has always bugged me, but I don't think I actually said this. So I, I, if things pop into my head during the course of this podcast <laughs> where I can address things I never said in previous podcasts, mm. well, shall I or shan't I? I might as well. I said that one of the things I didn't like about Revelation of the Daleks was the fact that there's Davros, the creator of the Daleks, setting up a shop. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Obviously, I'm exaggerating when I say that. I'm being a bit facetious. But it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Because this is why I never pointed out. You think about it. In Genesis of the Daleks, he's a scientist. He's created the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. Which are supposed to be the means by which his species can carry on, right? Mm. And at the end of Genesis of the Daleks, the Daleks kill him. Mm. Except he's not dead. No. But he goes into, I suppose, what you could effectively call a coma for X number of hundreds of years. Yes. And then in Destiny of the Daleks, they wake him back up, right? Yep. But between Genesis of the Daleks and Destiny of the Daleks, <laughs> Davros has had no intellectual existence, right? No. So as far as he's concerned, yep. even though all these hundreds of years or however many years it's supposed to be have passed, as far as his sentient being is concerned, he gets shot by the Daleks and then the next thing that happens to him is they wake him up, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Right, at the end of Destiny of the Daleks, yep. he gets... Frozen. By the Movellans or Movellans. whoever. Yeah. And the next time we see him is in Resurrection of the Daleks, right? Yeah. Where he is still in that freezer. Cube. Yeah, yeah he's, <laughs> he's still frozen. He's still imprisoned. Yeah, yeah. So as far as he's concerned, once again... Between Destiny of the Daleks and Resurrection of the Daleks, because he is frozen and they wake yeah, him up at the start yeah, of Resurrection, don't so they? He should. So as far as he's concerned, once again, his sentient existence has only passed on another day or whatever you want to mm, call it. Mm. But once again, there's been nothing in between. Mm. So we've gone through three stories mm. where Davros is the creator of the Daleks, mm. who they destroy and wake up, he gets imprisoned, and frozen, and all that happens to him mm. in the space of effectively a few hours. Yeah, yeah. And then the next time we see him, he's got a shop where he's selling dead humans. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> when did he ever learn to be a grocer? Yeah. When did he ever? I, that's never occurred to me. When did he ever yeah. get the acumen together to set up business mm. on the planet Necros mm. when the only planet he's ever known? has been in Genesis of the Daleks, right? He's the one who is absolutely convinced or is convincing other people. If he's not convinced, I think it's a bit ambiguous and um, you never really find out. Mm. But he's the one who says there's no life on other planets, right? Mm. Mm. So, and he's no experience of life on other planets until the Doctor turns up. Mm. And then after the Doctor turns up, effectively, his entire life across those three stories is told in the space of about eight hours. Mm. So he goes from... You know, eight hours in the past, only having just found out that there's life on other planets, mm. to eight hours later in his lifespan, you know, setting up shop on a 
alien planet. Mm. What? Mm. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because if you think about the the Davros we see in the new series, who is quite possibly the most believable Davros, he's the the Davros from Genesis. Yeah, basically, yeah. Well, Um, that's... Well, that's a good thing, though, really. Oh, the, no, it's fantastic. And uh, The new series have effectively ignored whatever continuities they didn't <laughs> yeah. want to uphold. Yeah, yeah. Which is, um, you know, basically what the old series did anyway. None mm. of the Dalek stories make any sense in terms of continuity, and the Cybermen stories even less. Mm, absolutely, yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't tend to explore the... That's what's interesting about that. Uh, the Christmas episode is actually going, jumping back in the history of the Great Intelligence, where the Doctor's actually gone back in there. Yeah, to have a in there, and, and actually, well, in a timey way, gone become, back to before. Yeah, we, he met him the first time. Yeah, yes, because in the old series, no matter. I keep knocking this microphone. Can you hear it? You've got the headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's oh, all right. Can I'll you? Get rid of it. Okay, yeah. I shan't do it again. Okay. Um, <laughs> in the classic series. Regardless of what, you know, the continuity or the chronology of Mm. the stories was, the continuity was that the Doctor would always meet everybody in order. Yes. And the next time he meets somebody is always the next time after the last time, regardless of whether it's, say, 800 years before the other story. Mm. Mm. So whenever he meets the Cybermen, for example... yeah. If there's any mention whatsoever on screen of Cyberman continuity uh, in terms of where they stand (laughs) relative to the Doctor, it's always the next time. Even if, you know, one of them set Silver Nemesis, for example, which is set in, what, 1988. Yeah. Is the next time the Cybermen meet the Doctor after, you know... Or the third next time the Cybermen meet the Doctor after, for example, the Wheel in Space, which is set you yeah, know, yeah. well into the future, or Revenge of the Cybermen, or whatever. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? They might not bring it up on screen, yeah. but in terms of the sort of generated continuity, the mm. the ambiance of the story, and the, and the Daleks are even worse, <laughs> because they're turning up all over the place, and it makes no sense. And as for the Ice Warriors, Mm. you know, the Ice Warriors, the first time we meet the Ice Warriors, they've been frozen in ice for thousands of years and they get woken up Mm. in a story that's set in the future. Yeah. But of course they were frozen in ice thousands of years in the past. Yeah. And the obvious inference you take from that story, I think I've said this before, is that the Ice Warriors, you know, died out on Mars thousands of years in our past. Yeah. And these have survived because they've been frozen in ice. Yeah. And then the next thing, you know, there's Ice Warriors all over the future. Uh, in Paladin. Mm. Yeah. And not just that, Seeds of Death. Yeah. That's set, you know, what, a couple of hundred years into our future. Yeah. And the Ice Warriors are just there. <laughs> you know, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the whole thing with Earthshock, isn't it? You get this this lovely scene where, you know, they they show all the different incarnations of the Doctor in order. Yeah. How would the Cybermen know? Yeah. Because, you know, as far as the Cybermen are concerned, they've not met the... So the inference is that the, the Doctor's timeline is is rigidly connected with the Cybermen's and the Daleks. Well, no, basically... I mean, it's, not, it's not, but... It's basically just that nobody ever thought about it, did they? No. I mean, when they were making a classic series, especially pre-1982 or whatever, mm. before 
domestic videos started to become and before anybody knew anything about continuity before about 1978 or something mm. nobody even knew what all the stories had been no oh maybe earlier than that actually the making of doctor who but you know what i'm saying mm. for the first 10 years nothing was written down no so they just made the stories and regardless of where they put the daleks or the cybermen or the ice warriors mm. in terms of what the viewers at home had seen on screen it was the next time after the last time it's funny, it relates back to that scene on the Asylum of the Daleks where there was the old Daleks from Planet of the Daleks, from Spyrodon and what have you. And uh, uh, <clears throat> there's been fans sort of saying, well, that's no good because they weren't old They're the wrong Daleks. shapes. Yeah. And you kind of think, in my head, I make the excuse that, yeah, maybe they were upgraded later on to the new style. But then you think, well, what about all the others? They, they... But did we talk about the literary agent hypothesis? We have, but yeah. I think it's a good... You want me to bring it up again? I think so, because I think it's fascinating. Because you didn't understand it. And now you no, need I do. To... <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm oh, just joking. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe. Oh, for anybody who didn't hear it. Yeah. Right, the literary agent. I think it's type. really important. I think it in... makes so much sense. Yeah. And it allows you to relax and just enjoy it a lot mm, more. Because mm. I think a lot of people get so worked up on... See, this is the thing that I always get, is that people get hooked up on the way each successive production regime manages the minutiae, right? Mm. But each successive production regime is going to manage their minutiae according to their own whims yep. and not according to what's gone before or what's going to come. Yeah, You know, Lee would have a fit. He seems to think that people in 1963 should be predicting what's happening in 2013 <laughs> and working their way around that. That's not how it works. Well, Whoever's making Doctor Who at the time yep. makes it according... Oops, I've got a text message. It won't be anything important. And if it is, uh, this podcast can be very short. Yeah. Each each production regime is just going to make Doctor Who the way they want to make it. Yeah. Not just according to their tastes, mm. but also according to the facilities that are available to them, right? Mm. Mm. And, for example... If they want to make a Cyberman story mm. and they go to the BBC costume department and, you know, get the Cyberman costumes out and they've all been eaten by moths, mm. what are they going to do? They're going to make new Cyberman costumes, right? Mm. Well, here you go. On the one hand, the designs might not be available to them. Uh, the people who made those original Cyberman costumes might not be working for the BBC anymore. Mm. And if you're going to make new Cyberman costumes you might as well make Cyberman costumes that you like rather than ones that somebody else liked 15 Absolutely. years ago. Yeah, yeah. So it just stands to reason that if you're making new Cyberman costumes, you'll make new Cyberman costumes, mm. not just new old ones. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that the Cybermen themselves have changed. No, no. And this is where the literary agent hypothesis comes in. Yeah. Which states that... If you want to regard the events in Doctor Who or any programme as real, mm. what you must therefore do mm. is you must regard the television programme as a reenactment of yep. those real events yeah. rather than a documentary documenting the real events themselves. Mm. So if the adventures of the Doctor have all taken place... Mm you've got to imagine that this is a reconstruction of those events rather than an eye on the events themselves, yeah. which allows for bad special effects, 
which allows for monsters looking different every time they turn up, even yep. though in their own continuity they might not have changed. Yeah. So it allows for things like Asylum of the Daleks, where they just use whatever Dalek casings they've got to hand, mm-hmm. regardless of whether they're the, quotes, right ones. Yeah. And that's, you know, I find that... I was going to say fascinating. I don't find it fascinating. I find it facilitating. But it's yet another aspect of it allows Doctor Who as if it didn't have enough avenues whereby it can change itself. It opens up the idea, which I've said about, where I would love them to remake an unearthly, I can't say it, an, an unearthly child. child. Yeah. And more so that particularly this week, we've been learning more and more about the cast for this Oh, some good people, isn't it? But Mark Gatiss is, um, <clears throat> was it an adventure in time and space? In, yeah, or was it space and time? Oh, I'm not sure. Probably time and space, actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, but seeing the people they've cast, I mean, Susan just looks brilliant. Who's, really great. Do you know the names? Can you remember I the names offhand? No. I can't remember any of the names offhand, apart from David Bradley, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And Brian Cox as Sidney Newman. Yes. But yes, yeah, some of the other actors. Verity looks great. Well, yeah, but, um, yeah. And the idea of uh, putting together that show is is some, they could do a flip side thing of this <clears throat> of this story, whereby we get to see the story they make. Well, yeah, um, you know what will happen is that uh, in the last ten minutes, or depends how they do it, depends how far they take the story. Mm. We'll see a bit of them making an unearthly child, yeah. obviously. But we won't see the Anne and Earthly Child that they've made. No, no. Oh, and in, in, in essence, they're going to be reenacting how it was anyway. Yeah, and, and we'll see a few minutes of it. And it's not going to be that different unless they literally change the story. No, yeah, well, no. We're not going to see so. loads of special effects or anything like that. The TARDIS would look so But you know what? My, um, I just sort of made an offhand suggestion on one of the threads that somebody had going on Facebook or somewhere. Mm. I said rather than, well, I didn't say rather than because nobody actually suggested let's just make, get these four people to make an unearthly child as well. But I just said, wouldn't it be nice if after they wrapped on an adventure in mm. space, adventure in time and space, this is Stephen Moffat's fault I'm doing this, because <laughs> when he did space and time, those two three-minute things, he had yep. to do space first so he could do time afterwards. Right. So he reversed the order. So I always <laughs> get the order the wrong way around now. After they wrap on an adventure in time and space. Yes. Just keep the actors together for another four weeks and make an entirely brand new first Doctor story. Ooh. Yes. That would be nice. Fancasm. Yeah. <clears throat> In a kind of, um, <clears throat> you know, use a, not a script that somebody wrote that never got made. Mm. Although there are mm. scripts, so they could potentially make something like The Masters of Luxor or whatever. Yeah. But no, get somebody to write a script that is, you know, sensitive to the way scripts were back then, yeah. and actually make a story in the style of 1960s Doctor Who. Fantastic. <clears throat> you could make it in colour and widescreen, right? Yep. To show it on the telly. Mm. And then on the DVD release, you could have it in colour and widescreen on one day, get in black and white and 4 by 3 on the other. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. And that, get... Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> <laughs> oh. And get the people who, who do all the vid firing and what have you, of uh, the... We don't need to fit fire because we're actually making it. On no, video. but what I'm saying is that I'm sure they could back, back braid it to oh, make it look old. You could do. Yeah, it wouldn't take those guys because anybody can do that in a video is, camera yeah. these days. Anyway, can't yeah, they? yeah. I mean, the BBC could easily do that themselves. I know what you're saying. The funny thing is, um, 
you know, they're re-interlacing all those DVDs of the 1960s stories. Yeah. And yet the modern series is being de-interlaced instead to look more like film. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? It is mad. It is mad. But um, like I say, it does give it another angle where, whereby, I mean, it's it's been proved with the audio stories that they're able to backtrack and do new stories by the old doctors, and it's this constant yeah. adding out of the of the adventure. Um, well, this would be a nice way to do a first Doctor story, yeah. Because of course, big finish. They've done first and second Doctor stories through the companions, mm. but as sort of narratives as yes. opposed to full cast audio dramas. Yeah, this would be a you know you're not going to get many opportunities, but actually, can you imagine also if they got David Troughton in as well? Oh, I was just thinking and exactly did, the same thing. You yeah. know, David Bradley as the first Doctor, and David Troughton as the second Doctor, and hey, maybe even Sean Pertwee as the third. But those first two, because there are so many stories missing. Yeah. Mm. If that possibly. You know, we were talking about Power of the Daleks just before we pressed record, mm. or we mentioned it at least. Can you imagine if they got David Troughton to do a remake of Power of the Daleks? I was going to say, though, I take it you've watched that. Um, in, have you not seen it? <clears throat> Initially, I watched it. I was and... waiting for it to be finished. Oh, right. Is it? Fi- it's not finished, is it? I don't know Two parts are out, and I think the Two third one's still yeah. to come, I think. Mm. Mm. But uh, watching it, the, the chap who's made the film is playing the Doctor. Yeah. And I thought, initially, is I thought, Scavell? is that a... Is that a, a dis- Sorry, say again. Is it named Nick Scavell? Or... That sounds about right, yeah. 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 Initially, I thought, oh, is he <clears> playing <throat> the Doctor because he can? Mm-hmm. Is and he I any thought, good, though? I was going to say that it's relatively easy to accept him yeah yeah initially you think uh, it's a guy who's playing the doctor because as i say i've written the story i'm going to play the doctor yeah i'm not saying that was the decision i'm sure i'm doing him injustice um but actually you relax into it and he plays it really well and it's it's really well scripted as well where he's oh, very believable check it out yeah i like to wait until these things are complete mm. especially if it's going to be months between episodes you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean it, it doesn't um, it's out there as far as a new version of Power of the Daleks. It's not sticking in any way to the original story. The, the bare bones of it is there. But, oh, really? But it's yeah. not. <clears throat> yeah, that was the impression I got. It's a lot shorter as well, actually, isn't it? Is it three half-hour episodes I or something like don't that? No, I w- I've just watched a bit of it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, That's all I ever usually do, to be fair. Yeah. I was doing a bit of um, research on Barnaby, really, to try and get some sound clips and play some on the radio for the convention and um barnaby barnaby edwards yes <clears throat> um you do realize he plays been... the prime minister in it oh right gotcha and he's very good i was gonna say if you get sound clips of barnaby as a dalek that's actually not him no no <laughs> i made that mistake on twitter i did <clears throat> i tweeted really? uh nicholas Pegg saying about him doing the voice really, really embarrassingly yeah yeah. Oh, so and then I mean, suddenly realised what I'd done. I feel for you. I know, I know. And then, not long afterwards, I heard I either heard him or he was tweeting about people often mistake him. Two Nicholases. I guess so. Um, yeah, the two Nicks. I guess. Yeah. Was... Nick, Nick. Do Don't mention Jim Davison. Uh, um, I don't know if you realise this, but um, somebody else from Exeter played a Dalek. Oh yeah. In. Um, Doomsday, one of the four Daleks in Doomsday. Because oh, right. in, the, I think in the first <clears throat> series they only had three Dalek operators mm. when they did um, Parting of the Ways. Mm. 
And then when the Daleks came back <coughs> in Doomsday, obviously they needed a fourth because of it being the cult of Scarrow. Mm. And so I don't know how it came about, but obviously Barnaby Edwards and Nicholas Pegg both live around these parts somewhere or have something to do with down here or whatever. Mm. But obviously they had some mate down here. And this guy who was the manager in a shop where a mate of mine worked suddenly goes off to Cardiff <laughs> to be the fourth Dalek. <laughs> yeah. That was very strange. Wow, wow. It was strange, strangely, uh, not last night, the night before, I went to a meeting uh, at the Picture House, which is a local cinema here in Exeter. Uh, I know. Ind- independent cinema. Oh, you were saying this for their benefit. I'm saying it for the listeners, yeah. <laughs> um, and there was a meeting of uh, local filmmakers, independent filmmakers, called Shooters in the Pub. If you want to look it up on Facebook. on there. Um, and it was fascinating. And I met up with a couple of people who have been taking part in one of the new episodes of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which they didn't tell me much at all. And it is amazing. Um, Are you going to reveal which episode they were in? I can. I can. What's well, the do most, it then. What's the most fascinating episode we've got coming up? Oh, Stephen Moffat's episode eight. No question. No. Oh, okay. Neil Gaiman's. <laughs> <laughs> I was just playing with you. Yes. I don't know. To be honest with you, I think the least interesting episode is the first one. Yeah. Do, do, what do you oh, think? Oh, is that the Wi-Fi one? Yeah. Mm. Actually, he did say that. We could have talked about that before because Matt Smith had already said that. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a secret at all. <laughs> There was us trying to be very cagey about mentioning it. Yeah. There's something in the Wi-Fi. And apparently Matt Smith had said it about three weeks earlier, at, you know, on some Q&A or something. Mm, mm. <clears throat> but I don't know. You've got episodes like Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Yes. And then you've got another finale from Stephen Moffat. And whatever the rest of the series is like, a Stephen Moffat finale is always going to be fascinating, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you've got things like the Ice Warriors, presumably, mm. and um, Bletchley Park, if it is Bletchley Park, or right. whatever that episode is set I in the 1940s. I'm getting confused. Uh, what are the episodes? Obviously the... Uh... But what I'm saying is, just before you... What I'm Sorry. saying is, you've got all these episodes that all have, you know, that all seem fascinating. Yeah. And then the very first episode is just, oh, modern day urban thriller. Yeah. Something in the Wi-Fi. And I'm just thinking... <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Could you make it just slightly more uninteresting, please? Yeah, yeah. I was, um, but I'm go on. You... Yeah, with the um, uniform guards that we're seeing. I don't know if they're unit or what, but uh, they're obviously in the Cyberman episode, the Neil oh, Gaiman yeah. episode, um, the one with Warwick Davis in it. Right. I but I've also that. seen some uniform guards to do with the journey to the centre of the TARDIS as well. Are you sure? I'm not sure. Do you mean uniform guards in the TARDIS? Yeah, possibly. Oh, I don't know, because was that in the trailer? I don't know. You I don't know why I'm thinking that. Else? Possibly I've seen it on a website. Maybe they've got the um, the pictures the wrong way around or something like that. I, think well, I don't know. They had the pictures next maybe to it. there's a slightly different American trailer. Who knows? I don't look too deeply into these things until or unless I have to these days, because mm. I don't want to know myself, you know? No. You know, what we talked about in that episode a few weeks ago, that's about as much as I want to know before we go in. Mm. Knowing that the Ice Warriors might be in it, great. Yeah. I don't especially want to see a picture of them until they turn up on screen. No. And fingers crossed, touch wood, looks like we might get there because we've not seen or heard anything yet. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. So it's like an open secret. Yeah. It's like everybody knows I'm, the Ice Warriors I'm are in. I'd say it. there is a toy, isn't there? Yeah, there's a toy. There's a toy alongside. But what I'm saying is everybody knows they're going to be in it. Yeah. But nobody's sure they're going to be in it. Yeah. Right? It's one of it's like an open secret. Yeah. That yeah. nobody can quite be certain about, but everybody thinks they know. Mm. But mm. you're right, there's a toy. There was a toy fair about three weeks ago, maybe. Mm. Mm. And uh, because it's the 50th anniversary... Character options were at the toy fair because the way these things work is you have to show your toys for the next six, eight, ten months ahead. Yeah. So that, you know, distributors can say which one. I mean, this is, it was at a toy fair like this where they had a fourth Doctor and Bessie. Right. Uh, you know, in the five inch scale. Did they? And the distributors <gasps> didn't pick it up, so they oh, never went no. ahead and manufactured it. Yeah. So they had a five-inch scale Bessie. So what are they, they going to continue with the five-inch and the new three-and-a-half-inch? No, five-inch is going to be the classic series, and three-and-a-half-inch is going to be the new series. Wow. But they're not going to change the... They've changed the three-and-a-half-inch. Yeah. And that's for the new series, but the classic series is a collector's market, collector's and market. the collectors would not accept a change at this stage of the game. Of course they wouldn't, no. So they stay at five inches and the new series goes to three and a half, which is a nightmare. That must be pretty big, that Bessie. Oh, you'd think so. I don't know if it got to the point where anybody ever had pictures of it, but it was definitely talked about. Yeah. It was definitely in the offing at one point and then it got knocked on the head. There's somebody on the forums who used to work for them. Hmm. And I don't know whether he stopped working for them or whether he just stopped posting or what. But a few years ago, there was somebody on the forums who used to like quite openly mm. come on the forums and talk about not everything, but he'd quite openly just talk about things, mm. certain things that were coming up. And of course, he doesn't anymore. You were saying that some of the toys that are coming out are sidestepping the series completely and they're just kind of. Uh, just Doctor Who. Just Doctor Generic Who. Doctor Who on the name. Yeah, but they've been doing that for a while. Really? Yeah, people haven't got this. People Every time a new toy comes up, people say, oh, God, where does that fit into the series? Yeah. And then you look back at the build-your-own sonic screwdriver with three different of sonic course. screwdrivers yeah. in yeah. it. And they did... <clears throat> They did some kind of, I don't know, because I don't collect all these things. I like the five-inch figures, and apart mm. from that, I don't take much notice of anything else. But they've done other things that were like, okay, here, here's an example. They've done like uh, little science kits, yeah, which were, which had a Silurian and a Cyberman on the box or whatever. Oh, yeah. It was like a Silurian microscope, right? Yep. Well, you know, there's not going to be a story coming up <laughs> where the Silurians have no. microscopes. I mean, I don't know if they had microscopes in cold blood. I think they probably mm. did, actually. But I think what's, it wasn't confusing, to that. what's confusing issues is they're having little uh, stories on the box themselves to explain what they are. Because yeah, there's well, a gun, isn't there? That's made well, that's the, yeah, they did. Parts. Last year, they did a gun that hadn't, or not a gun, but some kind of g gadget or gizmo that mm. had nothing to do with any televised story. Mm. And as soon as people got wind of it, they were saying, oh, what's this from? Something's coming up and this is going to be in. Well, now you've also got, they've done like, um, <clears throat> with pre-existing figures, they've made, this is a weird thing. This is obviously just a way of making money, but it's quite nice. I'd quite like them if I had the spare money. 
they've taken pre-existing figures and made like um what's the word i'm looking for little scenarios it's not scenario but you got a doctor and a monster and a little cardboard oh right yeah piece of set yeah yeah not a very big piece of set but uh so you've got a dalek from i don't know don't quote me on this but i think for example you've got a dalek from dalek invasion of earth a first doctor mm. and then a little cardboard bit oh of yeah there's a whole set London. isn't there yeah, yeah there's there's and one there's gonna be 11 aren't there yeah, yeah apparently yeah. and basically they're just bits of cardboard all they've done is add a bit of cardboard with a picture of a devastated london on and there you go you've got your dalek invasion of earth set <laughs> it's a bit cynical yeah but at the same time it's quite nice yeah. yeah but having said that most of the sets that came out anyway that were in boxes as opposed to bubble blister packs mm. had um photographic backgrounds in anyway so yeah. effectively it's hardly any different from that yeah yeah the other thing they've got toys r us you know i was talking about woolworths doing that oh, they're Toys R Us exclusives, aren't they? Those yeah. Dalek and Doctors, yeah. Dalek, yeah, 11 Dalek and Doctor yeah. twin packs. <laughs> Which would be quite interesting when they get to the 8th Doctor. Oh. Because, of course, he never met the Daleks on screen. No. Oh. So people think, I'm not sure if anybody's confirmed this yet, but it's been talked about that he's going to meet some Dalek that was in either an audio play or a book or a comic strip or something, okay, right? which will just be the regular Dalek mould. But I think it's red. So this will be the first time we have a classic series Dalek, classic series Dalek mould yes. in red. Oh. So I'll definitely be on the lookout for that one. If Is it going to be out. a classic Eighth Doctor, though? That's the thing. Is it going to be Longhaired Doctor or the, the new... No, it won't be the new one. Shame, isn't it? Well, but why would they? I know, yeah. And also, that would necessitate making a new mould of his head. It would. <laughs> and that's the most expensive bit. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, you're talking... I don't, I don't know do what they the... do they do? Are they actually sculpted or are they scanned? Well, they scan them now, but up until, what, two years ago they were sculpted. Right. And, well, you'll know better than I will. Sculpt a head, especially that size. It's got to be quite an art. Mm. I wonder, and maybe somebody who's listening can answer this, mm. I wonder, now that they're going to the three and a half inch scale from the five inch scale, I wonder if they can take the old moulds and somehow yeah. mechanically alter them to the new size I without imagine. having to go back and re-sculpt everything from scratch. They just make them out of shaker maker. Or do you just... I tell you what, if you've got a five-inch mould for the Doctor, can you just put a lining on it until it's down to three and a half inches? I reckon, I would imagine they must use some laser system where they read it it into a computer and then they just change the dimension down. it must be. And it sculpts it, doesn't it? Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. I would imagine so. I'd just like to get it confirmed because, Mm. you know, I'm just curious. Yeah. Because it would be a hell of an expense. And if they can do that, and presumably, if they do that, it saves them a lot of money. Mm. Then potentially, if the three and a half inch scale sells well enough, they may start going back and doing some old ones again. Okay. Who knows? Because I quite like, if you're going to have the 11th Doctor, and presumably then the 12th Doctor in three and a half inch scale. Yeah. You know, at some point, because presumably there'll never be a 12th Doctor 
in five-inch scale. We'll see. It would be nice to... But if they make a three-and-a-half-inch mm. 12th Doctor, maybe they can scale it up and do a, you know, maybe a Forbidden Planet exclusive. So do you have a cynical reasoning as to why they're going to three-and-a-half-inch? Is it literally to save money, do you think? Uh, it's just an industry standard. Mm. All toys are three-and-a-half-inch scale. As in the Star Wars it, figures and... Yeah, and mm. not just that, but also character options, other toys, mm. probably. I mean, I don't know what other series they do in terms of those, but no, that's right, because character options were the ones who were sort of bucking the trend, weren't they? Because they did Primeval, Primeval also in 5-inch. Yeah, because I keep finding up the car boot sales and yeah. looking at them thinking, <clears throat> is that a Doctor Who figure? And, it, because it's, and it's not. Because yeah. <clears throat> it's just about the only other thing. it BBC on the, on the feet. Oh, I you know the, yeah, it confused me completely. I picked up one. Um, I have a feeling BBC put the DVDs out. I could be wrong. Oh, maybe. Because the thing about independent television, in fact, the thing about BBC as well is uh, a lot of the programmes are sort of licensed mm. in so many different ways. Because wasn't it the often, team who did Walking with Dinosaurs did the effects on Primeval? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that there is a link. Yeah. Well, you quite often get uh, independent programs been put out on BBC Video, mm. and vice versa. You get BBC programs been put out on ITV Video. Mm. Something recent that I quite enjoyed on the BBC, and I was quite shocked when I picked up the DVD <laughs> to find it had a ITV logo on the side. Oh, yeah. yeah, I can't remember what it was. That went out of the shop in a brown bag, didn't it? And Casanova. Oh yeah, that was. I don't think it was ITV. DVD, but it was something. It was like, why would Casanova not be coming out on BBC DVD? Yeah, yeah. No extras, of course, just the three episodes. Oh. Which is shocking disappointment because most of the other Russell T. Davis things have got pretty good extras. Mm, mm. Still, that's. Well, but then the other thing is, of course, it's not just Star Wars, but it's Harry Potter. Yeah. And what else? Um, uh, big in the three and a half inch scale they're all in the three and a half inch scale mm. pirates of the caribbean mm. things like that it, i can't remember i saw somebody online was saying about the star wars figures how the old star wars figures were better than the new ones and yet the detail on the new ones is something quite is it yeah yeah i've never compared i've never really apart from the doctor who toys i've never taken a lot of notice no i tell you what will be nice is that you will be able to buy, say, a Pirates of the Caribbean playset mm. and think your Doctor Who toys in there. Yeah. And maybe play Curse of the Black Spot or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. One thing that's always bothered me about the Doctor Who ones is, apart from the two TARDISes, which aren't exactly sort of mantelpiece friendly, mm. there's never been any way of displaying the toys apart from just putting them up on the shelf. Yeah. And I, 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 I would quite like to have things that I can put them in. I don't obviously play with them because I'm not six. But you know what I mean? Just standing on a shelf mm. without any kind of context apart from the fact that they're standing with a bunch of other toys in the same range. Mm. I'd quite like to be able to put them in something mm. like a you know, spaceship control room set or something. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. That... Um... The uh, TARDIS, the makeshift TARDIS set. Yeah. Have you got that? Yeah. Oh, you get. Why? It's cheap. It's quite cheap. Yeah. Oh, okay. You oh, mean I... the Doctor's Wife one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was less than 20 quid. What was it? Okay. Yeah. I'll look around. Um, There was somebody discovered 
and this is only available in America but it's not that expensive and the postage if you get it in the right place is not incredibly much and I really shouldn't say this <laughs> in case I stuff myself in the foot because I haven't got one yet there is a uh, Pigs in Space Muppet movie. Right. Five inch scale flight deck from the spaceship. Yeah. And it looks just like a Star Trek or alternately, say, Christmas Carol style spaceship yeah. set. Wow. So you can quite happily put your five inch scale Cybermen or Doctor Who or <laughs> Spacemen or whatever. Yeah. In there, and although it's not from a Doctor Who adventure, yeah, it looks reasonably sci-fi enough that it just looks appropriate. And it's there's, there's a fair trade of uh, customized figures on eBay. Yeah, doing the rounds, They're quite clever, I do have to say. Yeah, mainly I... Captain Jack ones, from what I've seen. Oh no, 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 they do all sorts. There's a lot of Daleks because Daleks are very easy to do. You just buy the Daleks and do a custom paint job. Right, but um, there was oh, there's been all sorts. They did a custom Count Scarleone from City of Death long before yeah. character options did their own. Do you know, my thing about that is they're always going to be more expensive, right? Yeah. And they're not real mm. in terms of they're not official. Yeah. So I kind of like to collect as best I can, although I've not been keeping up the official ones. But if I can barely afford to keep up with the official ones, I'm not going to start spending extra money on unofficial ones, right? No. Even if they're, you know, if they was a, if it was a choice between being able to afford the three doctor set, right, right, which I haven't got yet, in case anybody's listening who happens to be rich and enjoys listening to us, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. If it's a choice between being able to afford the three doctor set or being able to afford a custom of even something I'd like to see, like a Wirren or a Kral, yeah. I get the three doctors set. Yeah. Because potentially there might be an official Wirren or a Kral along in a few years. Right. Which I would buy anyway, even if I bought an unofficial one. Right. So I think everyone's crying out as well for all the different TARDIS consoles. Oh, yeah. But do you know how expensive they are to make? Well, I can imagine. And it's like, you know, perhaps with it being the 50th this year, there's mm. been quite a lot of speculation that they might do one. Mm. But they're not going to do the whole lot because it would be horrendously expensive for them. Mm. And they're not going to... If they say, if they put one out for sale, right, <clears throat> then 100% of the people who are going to splash out on a classic series TARDIS console are going to buy that one set, right? Mm. But if they put two out, they may sell to a lot of people both, yeah. but also to a lot of people who can't afford both. So automatically, the sales of each go down to maybe 70%, right? If they put out one for each of the seven Doctors, yeah. then all of a sudden, the sales of each go down Couldn't to... Couldn't they do one with in, just one yeah, with interchangeable panels? Well, it's not that simple, is it? Because that's not how it works. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? All the same each size, time, Yeah, each time they make a new one, yeah. it costs them relatively less than the last one mm. to tool it up, to make it. Mm. But... The sales figures go down concomitantly more. So it becomes more expensive. You know, I don't know the figures, so right. I'm only speculating. Yeah. But I would say each one they put out would cost them relatively more in terms of 
the revenue they generate. Mm. Mm. It's not like the TARDISes when they put out the boxes because they were fairly cheap, right? Yeah. If you put out, I mean, those TARDISes were like, with a doctor as well, they were only like maybe 20, 25 quid. You mean the whole the, the whole place? The, the, the blue, just the blue box. Oh, the blue box. Just the blue box. Yeah, yeah, about 20 quid. Because they did a series, I think there's five altogether. Right, I think they did first, fourth, seventh. Oh, right. And obviously they've done 10th and 11th, right? Yeah, so there's yeah. five different ones. And they're not so expensive that you can't afford to get all of them, mm. especially as you're getting a doctor. And in the cases of the two new series ones, you could buy the TARDIS without. Mm. And in the classic series, they only did three, right? Mm. So it wasn't so horrendously expensive. But if they put out seven play sets at 40 or 50 quid a piece, I mean, how many fans have got three or 400 quid to splash out on, you know, yeah, play sets of TARDIS consoles? Do one, yes. Yeah. And if you're going to do one, do the first Doctor, I guess. Yeah, do the first Doctor or do a kind of fourth or fifth Doctor popular era, fairly I'm, generic. I'm, my instant reaction is I would want the five Doctors. Yeah, I think most, you know, most, although the fourth Doctor is obviously a lot more popular than the fifth Doctor in terms of things like viewing figures and whatnot, I think you're right. I think in terms of the TARDIS console room, mm. I think the one... Certainly the one that my mind always lands on is, you know, Peter Davison. Mm. Mm. And I think that's fairly classic design. Yes. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> so I think you're right. I think if they just did one, I don't think they'd do the first Doctor because it's so different. Yeah. Huge as well. Yeah. And it's got all that ceiling yeah. thing, which is like the new TARDIS, right? Mm. I think they'd do the fifth Doctor. Mm. I think it just fairly much stands to reason. We're hitting the right market as well then, age-wise. Yeah, and, you know, those people, and even if you prefer the fourth Doctor, it's close enough. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. If they just did one, like mm. I say, all those people who want a classic series console would just buy it because mm. it's the one that they can get. Or the wooden one. <laughs> I know, never do that. I know. Never in a million years. <laughs> can you imagine, though, if we lived in a different world where these things were a bit cheaper and we weren't in recession and yeah. character options were selling toys by the lorry load mm. and they could afford to do all the classic series consoles including the wooden one from season 14 and including the Paul McGann one it's not fair it's a big thing actually is whether you've got room in your house for it as well yeah that's true that really does dictate a lot of what I collect but I tell you what disappoints me is not the classic series console rooms because if they do do one of those one mm. of those would do me fine mm. but you don't get play sets for anything else in the Doctor Who range no, no. You've not had any other play sets whatsoever. No. It's like in, I know these are movies, right? So you've got to take that into account. Mm. And also America. So these are going to sell a lot more. So for the companies that manufacture these things, you know, the uh, the scales of economy that they have to work with are entirely different. But mm. you look at things like Pirates of the Caribbean and they've got like ships. Yeah. And you look at Star Wars and they've got like flight decks. Mm. And then you look at Doctor Who and it's like, you know, we're not even guaranteed that we're going to get this new TARDIS console room. No. By any stretch of the imagination, are we guaranteed that? We probably will, but there's no guarantee of it whatsoever. No. So it just, 
as a Doctor Who fan, sometimes you just think, because oh. we had <laughs> the conversation a few weeks ago or a few months ago where I think it was you or Lee were saying they've gone a bit Star Wars in the figures they release, they'll release anything. Right. But they don't. They release a lot of repeat figures yeah, because of economies of scale. But to be honest, there are so many figures that they could release from Doctor Who, but they just can't afford to because these things are expensive to design mm. and sculpt. We're fascinated to know the process <clears throat> now. No. Well, I was told, or not told, but I did read somewhere that each figure costs something in the region of £10,000 right. to sculpt. Okay. So you imagine how many you've got to sell mm. when... Because I don't think people sometimes get how much of what you pay actually goes back to the company. Yeah, yeah. Because if you think of the markup at every stage of the operation... Probably pence on every figure. Yeah. The markup, for instance, DVDs, right? Mm. You say you buy a DVD from Play or the BBC shop or Amazon or whatever and you pay 13 quid, right? Mm. Well, Amazon gets four quid of that, right? Yeah. Or five even, I think, uh, was the figure at one point. I don't know what the figure is anymore, but a few years ago, I know they used to buy their stock for eight quid, Mm. give or take a few pennies. So they'd make five quid off that. So then eight quid... Goes to the distributor, right? Mm. <clears throat> if his markup is the same, then he buys these for £4.50 from mm. the manufacturer, right? Mm. So if the manufacturer's markup is the same, he buys the rights to make these DVDs. You know, this is the authoring house I'm talking about. Mm for, say, £2 each from BBC Worldwide, right? Yeah. So BBC Worldwide's the licensee, so they then have to pass on 70p of that back to the actual BBC itself. Or, you know, this isn't quite how things work, but Mm. I'm just saying this is kind of the process, and I don't know who all the stages are, but but by the time it gets back to the actual people Mm. who are the ones who say, right, this is what we're going to make, you're talking pennies out of pounds. Mm. Yeah. Hence why the music industry has changed like it has. Yeah, because it costs so much less. I suppose if you think about companies like Big Finish, if you want to support a company like that, the best thing you can do is download it. Yeah, because they're making so much more. But by the same token, if they're selling through iTunes or Amazon or Play or whatever iTunes and Amazon and Play are still taking two-thirds of that money. Yeah. You know, or something in the region of. Mm. So if you pay, say, £5 for a Big Finish audio CD, buy it from Big Finish. Don't buy it from Amazon. No. Because Big Finish will only get a third of that. Same situation with with books, isn't it? Oh, and everything. Certainly small price. You know, I would always, especially in something like Doctor Who, Mm. it's a bit different with things like music because... You can't you can't go to the band and no. buy it straight from them most of the time. You have to buy it through iTunes or wherever, Amazon. But if you have the option of going straight to, you know, the company themselves, yeah. then do it. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like that. I quite like the fact that this um the internet has opened up this this kind of open market and it's almost like people become um sole traders. Yeah, which is fantastic. I think it, it, it can. There it is possible to sidestep the big guys. Yeah, it is. 
And then it's really lovely seeing some independent companies now, especially in terms of books. Because, yeah. you know, obviously I'm a bit involved in that. Yeah. And they don't make enough money for these guys to run them as businesses, okay? No. But they make enough money that these guys can keep them running yeah. as businesses, you know, as long as on on the side of their day jobs and or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But they still run it out of passion, but they're able to make enough money yeah. to make it... They're running out of passion, but they're they making just money to their wives. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there is nothing, nothing nicer than having a book on the shelf with your name on it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, that is just, if you're the publisher, right? Mm. I mean, I'm not talking about specifically your name, as mm. in J.R. Southall or Simon Brett or whatever. Mm. But if you're the publisher, if you're one of the guys behind Milk, for example, mm. to have a, a bookshelf where all the titles have got the word milk at the bottom of the spine. Yeah. It's just like, can you imagine how that feels? Fantastic. Especially given today's news. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, the, because um, Richard Marson's book on John Nathan Turner has, for whatever reason, is no longer coming out with Phantom and mm. is now coming out with Milk. Mm. And that was announced today. And that is, uh, from what I've heard, because I've uh, a couple of people I know have read it. Yeah, and they just say it's astonishing. One of them said he was crying by the end of it. Really? Yeah. So I've been looking that forward to that for a while. Yeah, yeah. And you know, not to say anything against Phantom, mm. and you know, Phantom do brilliant stuff, and you know, I wish them every success. Yeah. But of course, the fact that I've got a book out with milk. Yeah. Now the JNT book is also with milk. Makes yeah. me feel even more. Of course it oh, does. I've got to get this. Of course it does. I mean, yeah. uh, they just seem seem to. Um, they've obviously got a passion. They make things happen as well. Um, we both know from experience that there have been publications which haven't have fallen through with other publishers, and and milk get a hold of it, and it's out within a few months. Yeah, even within a few weeks. The yeah. first you and who was like, oh, the turnaround on that was like a month or something. Mm. And do you know what astonished me yesterday? Because I hadn't thought this. The next you and who is due out. Well, I say due out. It's not due out at any point. They're hoping to, going to try and get it out by roughly the start of April, right? Right. Well, the first you and who was out at the start of December, right? Right. So that's January, February, March, April. So the first you and who took two years to come out. Yeah. And the second you and who has gone from embryo, has uh, entirely been written 800 mm. pages. Yeah. And published in four months. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's astonishing because it's two volumes now of a roughly four hundred pages each. Do you know the mad thing is technically how many different writers would you say there are involved? Well, there's uh, there's a lot of people who've just written one essay each, mm. but there's also a fair few who are in both books quite a bit because mm. it was so fast. That mean that technically they're all authors because they're now yeah. published. Yeah, fascinating. There's got to be something like. 200 somewhere between 200 and 250 different names in those really? books, i think yeah wow something like that no i'm not sure actually maybe i'm probably something in the region of 200 mm. maybe I wonder if guinness would be interested 
No, I expect there have been other things. You think? Yeah. Besides, this is split into two books, so... Mm. Mm. There have been lots of books like this. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so rare these days. But, you know, it's just nice Mm. for these people sometimes to be in a book that they can buy and put on their bookshelf. Absolutely, yeah. And the other I mean, thing you're is, in it, Simon, I'm so... In it, yeah. I was more chuffed than anything that apparently we get a special deal on the book because we're in it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I oh, is that... I can't remember where I read it, but yeah. I do believe so. <clears throat> oh, I think Matt put that up as a... Only if you're actually in it, though, obviously. Yes. And they're going to be very tight on that. That's right. He said everybody who's written for it should make sure that they make sure they've got a working email address with me mm. so that I can make sure that Milk have got it so that they can check every order that comes in. Yeah. And if somebody tries to order using the special code for um, contributors yep. whose email isn't on this list, they'll just shut down the whole thing. Right. So then nobody will be able to get the discount. Mm. So basically, this is going to be one of those things where it's down to people to police it for themselves. Mm. I mean, it won't be a huge discount, but it's, you know, yeah, as a way of th- saying thank you. Because, I mean, small publishing, there's no... Uh, you know, I wrote for one in America, mm. and that was a big enough company that they could send me out a free copy. Mm. Even though, you know, there were... Dozens and dozens and dozens of authors in this book. They sent everybody out free copy. Mm. But in this country, they just aren't the economies of scale to be able to afford that. No. They'd make such a huge loss if they did that. And, of course, it's for charity anyway. It's also the thrill of buying your own book. Yeah. Yeah. It's an experience, isn't it, to be able to order something online. It sounds funny, but, you know, we've both had that with magazines. To be able to buy a magazine that you've got a piece of work in over the counter, that's part of the thrill. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. You never get over it. No. Look, Simon, we've been talking for an hour, right? And we did promise them on the spots, didn't we? Oh, God. Right, yeah. Yeah, but you're giving me an on the spot, Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. We're turning the tables, aren't we? Okay. We never actually ran dry in this conversation, did we? We didn't. Oh, I'm sorry, listener. We've really cocked this up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've just been chatting. Yeah. The microphones just happened to be on. Okay, here's the stopwatch. You just press the button in the middle to start the minute. Yep. Just pick a random story somewhere randomly from the Okay, well, I'll look in the book while you're talking about the doctor's wife. The doctor's wife? Mm. Are you going to make me do the doctor's wife? Mm. Oh, God, now you've put me on the spot. That's the whole <laughs> point, though, isn't it? Yes. Um, I like the doctor's wife an awful lot. I wouldn't say I'm madly in love with it because it's one of those funny things. I think when it came on... Everybody was so unprepared for it, even though it was everything they hoped it would be. I think it was one of those situations where you hope for something, but you don't actually expect it. And I think it did fulfill almost all of most people's expectations. And so everybody just madly fell in love with it. And it's great. I'm not going to say it's not great. But I just, you know, looking back now, because it's been, what, 18 months to two years now. And just looking back now, I just sometimes think about The Doctor's Wife and I think to myself, was it really that good? Mm. Because, you know, the way people talk about it, you think it was the best episode of Doctor Whoever. You've done your minute. Okay, so I'll just leave you with that thought. 
was it the best episode of Doctor Who ever? Mm. Or is it just a really good episode of Doctor Who? All I know personally is that it's an episode that made me feel things that Doctor Who had never made me feel before. Yeah, but then, you know, you say that... It's pushing buttons, definitely. Yeah, it is pushing buttons, but then look at things like The Girl in the Fireplace and Blink. Mm. Didn't they do exactly the same? Didn't they push buttons that you weren't expecting Doctor Who ever to push? Um... I think they pushed buttons which were, as a Doctor Who fan, were a personal thing. I don't think it was just an emotional uh, thing. I think um, things like Girl of the Fireplace was was pushing buttons in the same way as a really good Star Trek story would have done. But didn't it push... I suppose it would, but you wouldn't have those buttons pushed prior to that in Doctor Who. No. So that's what I'm saying. So the Doctor's wife was kind of... Maybe it did push new buttons... But it's not the only episode that's ever pushed new buttons, is what I'm saying. No, no. So I'm just... I'm not saying Emperor's New Clothes by any stretch of the imagination. No. I love it. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, it is a 10 out of 10. Yes. But there are degrees of 10 out of 10, just as there are degrees of any other number out but of 10. it does have a certain perfection to it. It is, well, it is that's very what I'm well saying. written. I don't think it's perfect. That's mm. what I'm saying. Mm. I think it's... I, I'm not saying it's not a 10 out of 10. Mm. And, you know, some people will be... Uh, uber you know what's the word I'm looking for I don't know but some people will say well 10 out of 10 means you're saying it's perfect no there are degrees Mm. of 10 out of 10 Mm. just as there are degrees of any other number out of 10 you know you can mark two stories 8 out of 10 but it doesn't mean you don't prefer one to the other right Mm. so there will be 10 out of 10s that you prefer one to another so there are degrees of 10 out of 10 Mm. stands to reason and I'm not saying the doctor's wife isn't a 10 out of 10 but by the same token, I'm also saying I don't think it is perfect. I don't think it is 10.10 out of 10. I think it's more like a 10.4 out of 10. You know, <laughs> it, it, trying to qualify the degree of 10. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I sound a bit mad. Probably some people are sitting at home now actually fashioning crosses out of wicker or something <laughs> listening to me. No, but I mean, it is my favourite episode by far. Of all Doctor Who ever. Yeah, Absolutely. Mm. Well, no, okay, by far is probably a bit much, but... But that's because it ticks all the fan boxes. Yes. Is it because it ticks the fan boxes or because it's that good? Because I think there's a difference. The the point I always make about Doctor Who is it has a life outside of the programme itself. You watch it and then there are after effects and there are a lot of ways in which it changes the way you think about it. And I think with that episode... Cleverly, it did this thing of suddenly saying, yeah, that kind of makes sense of a lot that was going on before. For an episode to yeah, literally make you... Yeah, but we talked you, about that as well, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, I know it's a form of um, retconning. But it's retconning on an emotional level. I don't think it's, it's, it's not saying... But by the same token, there's also... And almost using the same words, it doesn't have a life outside of the programme itself in terms of you couldn't really show it to somebody who didn't know or understand Doctor Who already and expect them to appreciate it. No. It's not like The Girl in the Fireplace, for example, to use an example that we I was using a couple of minutes ago. Mm. You could pretty much show that to somebody who was a complete novice with Doctor Who and as long as you knew yeah. that the central yeah. character is a time traveller, yeah, that's all you need to know. And yeah. the rest of the story plays out by itself. But there's... Uh, and they wouldn't miss any nuances. No. They wouldn't really miss out on any of the nuances 
in The Girl in the Fireplace, mm. or indeed Blink. Mm. Mm. But if you were to put the same person in front of the doctor's wife, yeah, I don't think they'd get all the nuances. No, because you need to invest in... Well, you need to invest in the characters. You need to... And invest in the programme. Know the TARDIS as, a, as an entity, and you need to yes. know... Yeah. So by, by that token, I just think because it ticks so many of the fan boxes, mm. I just think it's been elevated probably slightly beyond its worth. Even though I still think it is worth yeah, yeah. of a 10 out of 10, yeah. that's what I'm saying is that people are saying it is the most 10 out of 10, whereas I'm saying, no, it's not the most 10 out of 10, it's just <laughs> a 10 out of 10. I know what you mean, because it couldn't yeah. exist in its purest form without the rest of the series. It's like Godfather Part 2 or Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. I can't see, and this is a different example, but it kind of gives a hint of the same kind of thinking, but I cannot see a sequel as being a more complete film than the film it's a sequel to because it can't exist without the original, whereas the original can exist right. without the sequel, right? Yeah, yeah. You can have Back to the Future yep. and it's perfect self-contained film. Yes. You can have The Godfather and it's a perfect self-contained film. Yeah. You can have Star Wars and it's a perfect self-contained film. Yeah. But you cannot say that about The Godfather Part 2, no. Back to the Future Part 2, or The Empire Strikes Back. Or The Doctor's Wife. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm coming from when I say that. Yeah. So as good as it is, yeah. it would never be um, complete in and of itself. So in essence, it's not the greatest story, but it is my favourite. Yeah, I think that's perhaps what I was yeah. getting to. Mm. Maybe. Did you want to give me another one then? Go on then, War Games. Oh, yeah, well, War oh, okay. Games. we've done that lots, have we? <clears throat> But it's not... You're going to stop me on a minute or something? Yeah, go on. The war game. You know, we did the Patrick Troughton episode the other day, right? Mm. And I said I was going to clear up things that we talked about that we... Because the one thing that we never really said... Because one of the things we talked about was that a lot of the Patrick Troughton stories had kind of fairly childish scripts mm. that were brought to life. Or not necessarily childish, but simple and not very sophisticated scripts that were brought to life by great actors and production teams who were just having a bit of fun with the form, really. Mm. You had, not, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but there were directors who were just having a bit of fun with the fact that they were making a pulpy children's sci-fi series, right? Mm. And I think The War Games is the absolute epitome of that. I think Lee was trying to... No, I don't think he was, actually, but he almost kind of said, oh, but The War Games is so much better written. And I really don't think it is. Mm. Although it has got the hand of Malcolm Hulk in there and Terence Dix will never be a bad author. Mm. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that it's the script of The War Games that carries it along as much as it is David Maloney and his direction. And when I say direction, I'm also taking in the fact that he would have cast most of the characters, most of the guest characters in it. Mm. And it is that cast by and large, that carries that story along. Absolutely. The first time I watched it, I watched it on VHS. Somebody lent it to me. And I literally watched it back to back every yeah. episode. Just like a book you can't stop turning the pages on. And that story absolutely flew. And yet, you know, you look at most of those episodes and what's happening and what's going on, and it's not a lot. No. And some of the dialogue's pretty hokey. Yeah. And some of the situations are pretty daft. But the, these guys... Carry it, absolutely carry it. And that's the cast and also the director, obviously. Way back, you 
did the episode. I don't know if I was involved or not. They did the episode on event. We did. Yeah. Yeah. What, I think what that did you ascertain was the first episode. event episode? Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't like that. We just called it event because we have to choose a one word title. Oh, right. We did, were we, talking did, about... did we talk about, though, event episodes or um, ones did a... that were literally like a. No, that, was, that episode was about multi doctor stories. Right. About anniversaries. I thought we'd done an episode where we talked about these specific episodes, which were like finales and what have you. I mean, that was the first of the finales. No, second. Second. What was the first then? Evil of the Daleks. Evil of the Daleks because Terry Nation were withdrawing the rights to do the Daleks. And so the BBC or the production office at the BBC decided to do a story in which they killed the Daleks off and they decided to finish a season with it. Of course. So that became the first season finale. Right. With the death of the Daleks. And that was the first time they'd ever ostentatiously, is that the word I'm looking for? Mm. Done a season finale. Not just ostentatiously, but that's the first time they'd actually, you know, in in knowledge, in any kind of knowledge of what they were doing, did a mm. season finale. Mm. Yeah. And then, yes, the War Games was the next one. But Barry Letts was the guy who introduced that as something that would be a standard rather than mm. the uh, rather than the odd one out. Mm-hmm. And then he did one every year, not his first year, no, because somebody else had put those stories together. But his second year was his first year in charge of putting the stories together, and he did the demons. Mm. And then the following year, the time monster. Then the following year, the green death, and then mm. the year after that, planet of the spiders. Yeah, and he yeah. wrote them all, mm. and he directed, oh, two or maybe even three of them. Mm. So he was, he was writing, producing, and directing his season finales. It doesn't get a bit any more ostentatious than that, no. does it? <laughs> he give me another one. I'll give you one more. Okay, creature from the pet. Oh, do you know what? When I was a kid, because uh, creature from the pit would have been on when I was roughly ten, I think. That fat banging is coming through on the microphone. That is my children. Upstairs. Headbutting the floor. Um, <laughs> Creature from the Pit. I would have been roughly 10, and I think that's old enough to start seeing things like canines a bit. You can only go on flat ground. Yeah. Right. And the wolf weeds were a bit, somebody must be pulling them along on strings, right? <laughs> and the actual creature itself was like, oh my God, that's just like, it's like a really, really big shopping bag that somebody's got fluorescent paint on or something like that. Mm. But I remember, even at that age, because this was only 12 months before that dreadful, dreadful jungle set in Meglos, where people had to run really slowly to make it look like they were going anywhere in a studio that was no bigger than the room we're recording this podcast in. Mm. And Creature from the Pit was only a year before, and yet I could tell how good that jungle set was in there. And even though the story itself left a lot to be desired, because it just didn't seem to have a story. It was like, they land on the planet, there's a creature in a pit, and then three episodes after that, they finally do something about it. And apart from that, there was two episodes of Tom Baker standing in a cave set. Mm. So even at that age, 10, I could see that there was problems in the middle of that story. But by the same token, I also thought, what a wonderful jungle set. And I actually enjoyed it. Because that was the age when you're starting to... There will be stories like the Horns of Nymon that you won't necessarily... 
be able to suspend your disbelief for anymore because mm. you're at the age where you start. Because when you're 10, 11, 12, those sorts of ages, that's when it starts to become more difficult to suspend your disbelief mm. because you're questioning more and noticing more and trying to make sense of more. A big question. Has anyone ever actually asked you, is there a, a story or an episode of Doctor Who that you think that doesn't matter how much you try you'll never you, like you'll never like it and you just do not think it works is it a sayward oh i don't mm, do you know what i said that yeah, edge of destruction was my least favorite because mm. it ticked a lot of boxes of things that i didn't like like having the characters do things that were out of character and mm. Even though they were supposed to be doing things out of character, they were still doing things that weren't in character for being out of character and all this kind of stuff. And and then we've talked about Revelation of the Daleks and the fact that I don't like it because Eric Sayward was basically writing something that was not Doctor Who. Mm, mm. And for the same, by the same token, Seeds of Death, Seeds of Death, Seeds of Doom suffers from some of the same things. Mm. But there's no story that I can't sit and watch and get enjoyment from. No. I'll watch an Eric Sayward story and I will enjoy it. It will leave a bad aftertaste, but I can still watch it. Because in essence, you're not a science fiction fan, are you? No, I'm a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. And the other things I like are things like The West Wing and Inspector Morse and, yeah. you know, things like that. I don't know. I can't explain but, but it. But you would say that Doctor Who is an enigma? It's entirely, entirely different. It doesn't follow any of the rules of science fiction right no it just follows entirely its own rules mm. it doesn't share anything with star trek really so it, yeah it has, has more in common with narnia yeah it does than, really quite frankly it, it takes in along the way it takes in inspector morse yeah and it takes in star trek yeah and it takes in harry potter and it takes in the adventures of Barba papa Right? Yeah. It yeah. takes in all those things along the way. Yeah. But it is not any one of those things. And that's, but that's what the glorious thing about it is because I've just said I like Inspector Morse and I like the West Wing. Yeah. And like outside of Doctor Who, you know, those two and Survivors and maybe State of Play, even mm. though it never went to a second series, which it should have, but, you know, things happened and so. But, you know, what I'm saying is I don't, my taste is not for. A certain type of program. No. It's for a certain quality of program. Yeah. Within whatever type. Mm. I, my criteria is usually more to do with, does it do what it says on the tin? Does mm. it achieve what it sets out to achieve? Mm. And I think Doctor Who, I don't think it always achieves what it sets out to achieve, but it sets its goals so damned high, so <laughs> damned far out of reach yeah that even by just striving towards those goals it's done something unique yeah that sets it apart it's funny you saying that it's made me realize it's got a heck of a lot and also um we're recording for the first time in my house so when you came over here you met my two little daughters yes and we're mucking around with them and that's made me think of them is their imagination is limitless and as you say my daughter freya will play with scooby-doo toys but I'll hand her a Doctor Who toy and she'll start playing and all of a sudden they're playing together and she'll take bits of everything and there's yes. no limit. No. So in that respect, Doctor Who has a lot to do with pure imagination. It's to do with there not being boundaries. Yeah. 
because there's no boundary on what you can do with the show. Mm. And that's right. It's just like a child. If you put a child in a toy room, they're not going to say, oh, I'm going to play with the Star Trek toys yeah. today and yeah, I'm no, going to play with the <laughs> Inspector Morse toys tomorrow. <laughs> they're just going to say, oh, I'll play with some of the Star yeah, Trek yeah, toys and ch- some of the... Four-year-old child not playing with that because that's not canon. Do you know what I... I do remember getting to an age, though, where I didn't mix the toys. Yes, you probably do, because that's the point at which you're turning from somebody who accepts to somebody who questions. Yes. Uh, but do you know what I'm saying? In certain ways... I'll take that as well. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> In certain ways, because I don't want to leave that behind, because <laughs> I'm doing a leaving things behind tip tonight, aren't I? <laughs> um, in certain ways, a child starts by questioning and then as they grow up stops questioning yeah but in other ways there are certain things that a child accepts and as it grows up it starts to question mm. and you know you get to an age where the balance starts tipping don't you mm. and that would be the age where the balance started tipping presumably yeah. yeah i got to an age where i'd no longer use a cigar tin as a tie fighter <laughs> but you know what i'm saying creature from the pit was the same age or around about those parts for me, mm. because that was the point at which sometimes it was a struggle to still enjoy Doctor Who, the Horns of Nymon. Mm. And then other weeks, and I struggled with, you know, funnily enough in that series, I struggled with the Horns of Nymon and City of Death. Mm. And I lapped up Creature from the Pit and Destiny of the Daleks mostly and Nightmare of Eden I was kind of not sure about. Mm. But then now my taste on that's completely changed. Mm. But if I'd have been six when those had been on, yeah. it would have been different again. Mm. Mm. Because you go through stages, don't you? You do, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating watching my, my kids and the way they, they pick up on things. But, uh... Then they'll change, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And you'll But it's a shame. Cry. Yeah. But you do, you start, you get to an age where you do literally want things to work in those universes. And I did reach that stage where I didn't want to use toys from Black Hole with my Star Wars figures because it wasn't part of that universe. And I suddenly became aware that these were isolated things. That's but for sad me, in a way, where I'm different it? from you is, is um, it's a lot of it is to do with escapism. So why I'm a big fan of Doctor Who is because of the, the ideas that are bounced around. If there's an idea that suddenly makes your head flip and think in a different way, and, and as with the Doctor's wife, where all of a sudden it was like and you can she do that. stole the Doctor, not the other way around, you know. But and, you can do that more in Doctor Who than you can anywhere else. Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, why... It doesn't matter what you like Doctor Who for, but whatever you like Doctor Who for, you're going to find more of that thing in Doctor Who... Mm than you can anywhere else. Mm. You know, unless it's something so specific. I like Doctor Who for Captain Kirk. Well, obviously, you're going to find more of that in Star Trek. But yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Being facetious again, but... But yeah, Doctor Who is just a big, wonderful playground. I yeah. call it a crazy paving of a series. Mm. And that's what it is. Mm. It's like, it. there's a function, mm. but at the same time, there's an art... But at the same time, there's a complete randomness mm. and it's all there. Function, art and randomness all there together in the same place doing the same thing. Mm. It's crazy paving. Should we uh, call it a night? Yeah, then? we haven't yeah. done too bad. There's two of us. No, I know. I thought I know we were done talking. But... I always do most of the talking. <laughs> I get told off for it now. We don't get many emails anymore, but when people do email in, it's usually just to tell me to shut up. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully next time 
Mark will be better because Mark's not very well. Well, hopefully next time it should be all four of us. Yeah, yeah. That's the plan. Yes. And we will be doing The Master and we will be doing, what did I say, Season 10? Yep, yep. So we're doing... Oh, I'm looking forward to Season 10. So we're doing The Master and Season 10. Don't know which way around, but those should be the next two. Excellent. All right. Cool. Well, and I was JR. And I was Simon. And nobody else was here. And we'll speak again soon.